everyone, and welcome to episode 170 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. It's Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive. And like usual, I'm joined this week by Richard. What's up today, Richard? Hey, Seth, what's going on? Ah, uh, not much. Kind of excited. We have Dominaria Standard in full force. The set is officially out, so we're going to be talking about new Standard X, new Standard cards today. We also have kind of a follow-up. Last week, we were discussing what Wizards might do with the MTG Arena economy. Now the numbers are out. It's kind of public, so we're going to talk about what actually happened there. And also, another topic that's kind of interesting that's been floating around lately is streaming, and sort of like the weird ethics of streaming with ghosting and privacy and these issues so we wanted to touch on that and then of course fish mail but first off we got to start with the fun stuff we have a brand new standard format dominaria standard and uh what's your first take richard how is dominaria impacting standard in its first week or two of being legal mm, i don't know seth <laughs> a lot a lot of my knowledge is tainted by arena <laughs> with the uh, three-quarter standard but <laughs> Given the prices of, uh, let's say, Teferi and Lyra Dawnbringer, it looks like we're in for a blue-white, <laughs> you know, kind of metagame. A lot of strong cards from Dominaria. Uh, like I mentioned, Lyra, uh, Karn popping up in places, Teferi, uh, History of Benalia. Don't forget we have a lot of more elves making everyone try to play green. So it has impacted Standard. And we're going to talk about the decks in just a second, but this is not one of those sets where it gets released and you forget about it. It's in your face and in a lot of decks right now. Yeah, I've been very impressed. I know when I did the Top 10 Standard video with Zach last week, we were talking about it, and we are like, uh, Dominaria is awesome, but is it going to be able to like break out right away? Or is it sometimes these late sets when there's already a really huge Standard have to kind of wait towards rotation? But from playing on Magic Online and keeping up on the tournaments over the weekend, there's no doubt that Dominaria is already making its presence felt. I mean, we still have Red Aggro at the top of the meta. How much of that is just week one, Aggro's good on week one everyone knows Aggro's good on week one so that's the fallback like that could be the main reason but we're definitely seeing a lot of Dominaria stuff going on too so I'm pretty excited the format looks pretty awesome and I'm I'm pretty happy about it also worth noting I feel like Scarab God just took a huge blow Scarab God was arguably like the best or the second best card in deck and standard heading into Dominaria and based on playing on Magic Online in the tournaments this weekend it's not really where it used to be like like, even the control decks aren't necessarily playing black for Scarab God anymore, so a really exciting time. Alright, let's talk about some decks, Seth. The winner of the classic is a classic. <laughs> Green, black, and stricter. So this is your typical uh, deck where you're playing Winding Constrictor, you're playing a bunch of creatures that put plus one plus one counters on them, uh, notably Walking Ballista, uh, the Explore creatures... Uh, and uh, Rishkar, Pima Renegade, topped off by Virtus Gear Hulk. And then you have some Dominaria cards like Karn thrown in there for card advantage. And then Adventurous Impulse. Uh, I, I guess kind of just digging for the right creatures. But it's your stock list throwing some Karns in there. And it took down the standard classic. What do you think about this deck, Seth? I mean, it's been a good deck for a long time. I think this is one of the lesser Dominaria-influenced decks out of what we've seen going around in some of the top decks of the weekend. I'm really surprised that the deck is not playing Llanowar Elves. <laughs> Seeing Adventure in Simpulse, when you could be going Llanowar Elves into your four Jade Light Rangers or into your Rishkar on turn two or Thrashing Bronodon, that part really kind of confuses me. I think Karn was definitely one of the breakout cards of the weekend, just because it's not that it, like, dominated the tournaments or the format, but so many different decks can play it. It's just so easy. Like, this is a green-black mid-range deck. You throw in Karns. You can play blue-white control. You throw in Karns. You can play red aggro and throw in Karns in your sideboard if you want to. It's just so flexible, and it's so hard for it to be bad in slower matchups where drawing an extra card every turn is so good. So what did you think of this one, Richard? Yeah, I'm surprised... I'm surprised Karn is in this deck, and I'm surprised Lawnmower Elves is not. It seems like one of the decks where you kind of just want to get the game over with, and Karn goes long. So it's interesting, and Karn is $40 right now, so Karn is being jammed in a lot of decks. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how this 
evolves. I wonder if Charles just had this constrictor deck and he picked up a playset of cards and said, let's go. Or if he kind of designed this from scratch and thought, okay, this is actually the best combination of green-black cards put together. But this deck has been around since forever and uh, it keeps getting new parts to add to it, strangely enough. Uh, every release, there's like stuff to put in. So it's actually pretty cool that this this archetype has stuck around and evolved over time. And remember, this was uh, a couple of sets ago. This was basically an energy deck, so it's really impressive that the deck has managed to kind of evolve from being this energy, play your long tusk cub, double up the counters on it type of deck, to and playing uh, uh, Bristling Hydra in like the whole energy package, to now it's basically an explore deck. If you look at the creatures, like those are the counters you're primarily doubling up. Branch Walkers, Jade Light Rangers, you got the Walking Ballista still. So it's pretty impressive that the deck has been able to change so much with energy, taking a big hit with the bannings, and still be putting up good results. Alright, let's talk about uh, a new deck that made was made possible by Dominaria. Blue-White Historic. We have a we have a mechanic name from the set in the title, so it's got to be good. Basically, a blue white control deck. You're playing cards like Torrential Gear Hulk, uh, Lyra Dawnbringer, uh, Raf to make things flashy, Merfolk Trickster, a card that many of us or many people in the comments told us that we missed in our top modern uh, cards. But it's basically a flash Merfolk that when it enters the battlefield. Uh, you can tap a creature and then that creature loses all its abilities. And then you have your controlly things, you have Wizard's Retort. Is cancel with Wizard Upside good enough? The answer is yes. Uh, settle the Wreckage, uh, Seal Away for removal, History of Benalia, uh, an interesting choice to get some knights down for blocking I'm assuming. So blue-white, controlly, historic, You've mentioned this deck a lot, Seth. You called it Raph Flash. What's up with this deck? Uh, I really like this deck. This is one of the decks that I've been playing. We played it on stream last week, and I have still been playing it. I built it, even a version of it on Magic Arena. Uh, so I've been playing it all over the place, and it's super fun, and it's actually surprisingly powerful. I don't know if I like this exact build that much. The build that I've been playing is more mid-rangey and less controlly, like not going with the trend gear hawks and with with as many spells and kind of maximizing the walking ballistas and the rafts and the lyras and the teferis but it's a very powerful deck being able to play basically your entire deck at instant speed makes it really hard for your opponent to play around things like settle the wreckage is such a great card but if you don't have a lot of instant speed stuff and you pass with four mana, your opponents at this point pretty much figure out what's going on and play around it. But when you have Wrath that you can flash in, or Lyra that you can flash in, or History of Benalia, or a counter spell, or a commit to memory, it's really hard for people to play around your sweeper. I know the one thing that I think I feel like is missing from this deck that I had a ton of success with is Urza's Ruinous Blast, the legendary sorcery that exiles all non-legendary permanents. And this build, maybe you can can't play it because you have the sealed aways and stuff but i found that card to be incredibly powerful when you build around it yeah and uh side note to fairy up to 40 bucks sold out <sighs> from 20 last it's... week or 15 i guess at uh pre-release time or pre-order yeah. time <laughs> I was watching the SCG this weekend a little bit, and someone, they were playing a similar deck to this, and they were talking about Teferi, and they were like, I do not understand why this card is only $13. Like, this card is so broken, it's so busted. I've seen people actually playing it in Modern. I don't know if that'll actually catch on, but Teferi is really, really good. I think we underestimated how powerful the untapping the two lands is, because that's just like, you're drawing a card and you're protecting Teferi. Even if you just look at this deck list, you have Blink of an Eye, you have Seal Away, you potentially have Wizard's Retort. If you have a Wizard, you have Merfolk Trickster. You have a ton of things to do with that two mana. So you put Teferi up to five loyalty, you draw an extra card, and then you have great ways of protecting Teferi as well. So it's very, very good. My personal favorite is flashing in a Walking Ballista with your two Teferi <laughs> mana. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, second Sun Decks, also still a thing. So uh, Blue White. Basically, a second sun with some Teferi thrown in there. Is it the same deck? Probably. It's actually very different. It's like a pure control deck. Uh, all counter spells. Syncopate, Essence, Scatters, Disallows, 
Glimmer of Genius, Settle the Wreckages, uh, of course, Search for Kanta, and then uh, we have some Teferis and Sealaways and Second Sun. This reminds me of really old school control where everything is a counter spell or removal, and then you have three Second Suns as a finisher. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of what Approach has been for a while now. This is very similar to the versions of Approach we've seen a long time. I think CLA is definitely a good addition. Uh, it's definitely more powerful than the other options we had, like Baffling End in a blue-white deck. And I think Syncopate's a sneaky good addition as well for a deck like this, giving you that turn two counter for anything, potentially, uh, when you're on the play, which is something you didn't really have. Like, you can play a weird split of, like, Negate and Essence Scatter and hope that you have the right one in your hand, but being able to counter any two-drop on the play is pretty powerful. Alright, we have uh, Hazaret Red, Mono Red. Uh, basically, what? Basically the same deck, but it has Goblin Whirl Chain Whirler. That's the the Steel Leaf equivalent. The triple red 3-3 first strike when it enters the battlefield, deals one damage each opponent, each creature, and Planeswalker. It's a really good card, actually. I, I totally underestimated this when we did spoilers. That one damage is a lot, because it kills... If you're in the mono red mirror, it kills a bunch of stuff. It's pinging off Lana War Elves. It's pinging off 1 1 Walking Ballista. It actually does a lot of work, surprisingly. Yeah, interesting with Chain Whirler. It's so good that the red deck is willing to give up some really powerful lands to play it. Like, the past red decks we've seen, you're getting in, like, extra damage with Sunscorched Desert. You're playing Scavenger Grounds to fight against uh, Scarab God decks because you just have these free slots. But Chain Whirler is so good, the deck is just 23 mountains. Like, you drop all the colorless utility lands specifically just to take advantage of Goblin Chain Whirler, and it posted a really strong finish. So apparently Chain Whirler is actually worth it and very strong. All right, all right. We'll move on to a, a more fun mono-red deck. We have Goblin Gift. Uh, basically a mono-red deck where you play Skirk Prospector. So that's the dude where you sacrifice a goblin to get a red mana. You play a bunch of goblins like Wily Goblin, Goblin Chain Whirler, Rowdy Crew, and... Your whole spiel is to just throw a bunch of goblins on the battlefield, sack them for mana, cast a god pharaoh's gift, use combat celebrant to take infinite attack steps, and somehow this is actually a deck and it works, Seth. I've seen, I haven't played this deck, but I've played against it a few times, and on paper, it looks really janky, but it's actually, when they have Skirk Prospector on turn one, it's actually really scary, because it's so easy to turn on your gate to the afterlife and get a Godfarer's Gift as early as, like, turn three, if you just go Prospector into Wily Goblin, then on turn three, you have enough that you can sacrifice your team to do a bunch of looting, make enough mana to play gate to the afterlife, hopefully you have enough creatures in your graveyard to just immediately start start gifting and getting your stuff back so it's way more explosive than it looks it's it is actually a really powerful deck it's still ah, it has a good backup plan i don't know i've seen it be very scary but i also have not seen it win that much so i feel like <laughs> there's probably there's probably some work to be done for it to really be in its final form but it's a really sweet deck all right uh how about black white control have we seen black white control before I think this is a new one, mostly. I don't see oh, any it, it, Dominaria cards in here, though. <laughs> so basically, uh, just a whole bunch of... So like Settle the Wreckage, Fumigate, Approach of the Second Sons, uh, Vraska's Contempt, uh, the Immortal Sun is in here. Uh, we have, I guess, a Seal Away is, <laughs> is Dominaria, <laughs> uh, Authority of the Consoles, Cast Out, Ixalan's Bind. Basically, every removal spell you could name in these two colors this deck is playing. Yeah, I mean, it's basically a black-white approach deck that's just, instead of having the card draw that you get from being blue-white, you just have endless removal from being black, along with having Mastermind's Acquisition, which could do some really cool things. Being able to grab, like, a lost legacy from your sideboard against, like, in the approach mirror in game one, that can just be, like, a game-winning play. So there's some cool things you can do with Mastermind's Acquisition as a, wi uh, a wish-type effect as well. Alright, our first Lawnmower Elves deck. Green-White Aggro. Uh, basically, the shell of Lawnmower Elves, Resilient Kendra, Steel Leaf Champion, Jade Light Ranger, Galta Primal Hunger. You power out scary green things, and then there's a splash for Shalai. 
Yeah, I wonder if that's worth it. Like, the I've seen the mono green Stompy list a lot. I haven't seen them splashing for Shalai. Maybe, maybe Shalai is just what you need to win the game. But I wonder if, like, making your mana less consistent is worth the one white card, or if mono green Stompy is just better. Yeah, but it's a scary, scary looking deck. Get, get it, <laughs> getting a turn two Steel Leaf Champion, and if you don't have removal in hand, good luck. Yeah, this deck... It, I've definitely played against the non-Splash version, and it's a really scary Galta deck. Galta looks just like this <laughs> big, dumb creature, like, hey, whatever, it's a 12-mana 12-12, it's just big. But because of Trample, it's really scary, and this deck can easily go, like, Llanowar Elves into, uh, on turn two, into the Steel Leaf Champion, and then on turn three, potentially do something like Heart of Kirin, crew Heart of Kirin with Steel Leaf, you have 10 power, play a Galta for two mana, and then, like... <laughs> How do you how do you beat that? You gotta have a Veraska's Contempt or a Cast Out like right away, or you're just dead the next turn. Yeah, interestingly enough, not a lot uh, of what what is the Doomblade called? Uh, cast down, ride down. Cast down. What was yeah. it? Yeah, cast not down. a lot of those Doomblades floating around. Maybe there's too many legendary creatures, and we've seen Seal Away as the most common of the of the new removal. It's just basically a two mana. Uh, I guess Oblivion Ring or something where you're on the defense because the creature has to be tapped. So that's actually quite interesting that Seal Away is the removal option of choice in most of these decks. Yeah, we see a lot of four of Seal Aways, and I don't think we've seen a cast down period yet. Uh, Alright, we have Red Black Aggro. Uh, it, has, it has stuff in it. Skirk Prospector apparently just works <laughs> as a way to naturally ramp yourself uh, with Wily Goblins, Captain Lannery Storms, the payoff, Rekindling Phoenix Glorybringer like every other red deck, Chandra. But the interesting thing in this deck is it plays Settle the Score. So, <laughs> it's a combo. so you can exile a creature and then pump up Chandra towards the ultimate. Yeah, I mean, in theory, the way the math lines up, if you can play a Chandra one turn and have it not take any damage, the next turn you can just settle the score or something and immediately ultimate, which Chandra's ultimate is pretty much unbeatable. It's very very hard to lose when everything you cast comes with a five damage kicker attached to it. So I think it's pretty interesting. Uh, also, Fight with Fire is kind of an interesting removal spell that hasn't really been seen play in many decks. Five damage to a creature for three mana, but I guess it's fairly efficient, and if you ever get to a million mana, it it's ten <laughs> damage anywhere you want. O so only ten damage for a million mana, Seth? Jeez. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know about... Uh, I wonder. This is another one where I think we'll learn as things go along if the splash is worth it. You're not only are you splashing in this deck, like with Shalai at least, it's just one white mana. With this, you're splashing a bunch of double black removal spells, which feels awkward. But you do have the treasures from Wily Goblin and from Captain Lannery Storm to kind of help with that. But I'm still not a hundred percent convinced this is better than just being mono red at this point. I mean, you have duress in the sideboard. A lot of the sideboard cards are black, so that's true. And Squee first Squee <laughs> appearance in the sideboard. <laughs> when you really just always need a, a 2-1. <laughs> uh, any other decks you want to point out, Seth? Uh, I think that pretty much covers the classic. Let me uh, take a peek real quick at at the team open. I'm not sure. I think it was mostly the same stuff. It looked mostly the same. Uh, I don't see anything too crazy. Yeah, I mean, there's a Bant Approach deck, which I guess is a little bit different. This deck has kind of been floating around for a while, not really influenced too much by Dominaria, except for a bunch of Sealaways, which seems to be the norm for a lot of decks these days. Otherwise... Ooh, I found a good one. At 25th in the Team Classic, we have Mono Black Control. Running four Dreadshades, four Gifted Aetherborn, four Gaunties, four Josu Vesses, and Removal Suite. We have Cast Down, made an appearance. <laughs> Fatal Push, Torment of Hailfire, Vraska's Contempt, 
lands for Cabal Strongholds. That's uh, interesting. I think that's a really cool idea. I don't know how effective that strategy is, but it's uh, it's pretty... It's fun, and it plays a lot of cards that I think people are excited about trying out. I remember when I first started... I think this has kind of went away, but when I first started doing content a few years ago... Every set, people were looking for mono black control to be a thing. I don't know if you remember this. Every time something was printed, they were like, "Oh my god, we're gonna have mono black control again!" And it would never work out. But maybe, maybe this is the time for it to actually happen. This is more mono black mid range. <laughs> this is a mono black control. It's really greedy. Fork of all strongholds, four field. Of, oh, sorry. Fork of all strongholds, two field of ruins, and you're gonna somehow cast shade dread or dread shade on turn three. Yeah, that that seems like a more of a five drop. In that uh, it deck. feels like Cabal Stronghold <laughs> should be a Nykthos. If it's a Nykthos, this would be out of this world, but it's a Cabal Stronghold instead. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I guess we'll see. It's cool that people are trying it. It's really hard to tell with the team opens because theoretically, the standard player could have went, I don't know, like four and four and eleven or something and his teammates just won every game and they still put up a good performance so it's really hard to judge the performance of individual decks from a team event quickly check if his teammates are playing legitimate decks or not no <laughs> all right so <laughs> not a black control in all formats so looking at the most played cards uh top spell in the classic seal away uh beating out settle the wreckage negate cast out fumigate Looks like a lot of control-y cards for spells. Top creatures played. Goblin Chain Roller is up there behind Walking Ballista, which is a shoe-in in every deck. Uh, Skirk Prospector in a lot of decks as well. Apparently sacrificing goblins for mana is a thing. And uh, Lyra Dawnbringer up there. Uh, beating out Hazret, Torrential Gear Hulk, Glorybringer. Uh, so a lot of stuff from Brown Area being played and uh, surprising stuff. Skirk Prospector. Uh, in kind of both fair decks and unfair decks. Strange. Uh, seal yeah, away. I choice th- removal. Not <laughs> cast down. <laughs> or, is it cast down? Cast, cast out, out. I think. <laughs> cast, wait, no, cast out is the flash thing, right? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cast, you're all right. It's cast out. Yeah. Cast out. Why, why do we have cast out and cast out in the same format? <laughs> uh, wizards. Wizards and their name is. Where's cast up? <laughs> Yeah. That's a ref spell. <laughs> <laughs> or, like, reanimate something. Oh, yeah. All right, we'll add that just just to give commentators something to think about. <laughs> I I think those cards make a lot of sense, though. I'm looking at the overall most played cards, for because we've had the format on Magic Online for a little while now, and it's pretty similar. Like, the overall list, History Banalia is a little bit higher overall than it was at the tournaments this weekend. Lyra is super high, number two most played creature behind Walking Ballista, with Llanowar Elves coming in at number three. So that's worth noting, and I feel like... A couple of cards that don't show up on the list but were really impactful, uh, Teferi and Karn should definitely be remembered. I don't think they'll show up as much as uh, the most played because they they kind of show up as one-ofs or two-ofs, and the decks might have not finished as highly, but watching the tournament over the weekend, there was definitely a lot of Teferis and Karns on coverage. Uh, real quick, did Mox Amber break modern? <laughs> Mox Amber it has shown up in a couple of 5-0 Magic Online lists, but I don't think it showed up at the tournament this weekend that I noticed. But I, there was a 5-0 finish by the Isumaru Kaifian <laughs> play all the white one drops. Was that you, Seth? Did you do this? And no, it, it was it was not me. I was the one that thought that deck probably had no chance of working. But <laughs> playing against the odds and accidentally 5-0'd and put your deck on the side. I think it was Todd Stevens actually that that finished, or one of those uh, one of those streamery people. <laughs> oh, quickly while we're on Dominaria, Fire Song and Sunspeaker has the dust settled on our Bio Box promo, sitting at fifteen bucks ish, only attainable through Bio Box. What 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 is our what is our conclusion here? Is this price going down or up? It's hard to say yet. Uh, it's only a Bio Box promo, which means copies 
probably only started coming out in the last two weeks, but I know it feels like people are not selling them. I checked yesterday, like Star City, Card Kingdom, and they were all out of stock. So it feels like the people that got them as bias box promos are not just buy listing them out on the market. There wasn't even that many copies on eBay. It was just a handful of copies on eBay. So it feels like the people that bought them are keeping them because they know that they're scarce. And if those copies don't start filtering out to the vendors and on eBay, then we can see the prices going up because it seems like it's pretty low supply. I think right now it's, it is tied or uh, was tied with history of Benalia as like the fourth most expensive card from Dominaria, which pretty crazy considering it doesn't really see play anywhere. Yeah. Uh, so wizards, please don't do this anymore. <laughs> please include your cards in your packs. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully they do something like this seems like the kind of card that they'll put in a commander deck or something, but hopefully they learn a lesson and don't do this again in the future. Uh, so let's move on from Dominaria and talk about our second topic for the week, and that is Magic Arena. So we got the economy numbers, and I was expecting a freakout. It wasn't as much of a freakout. There was it was more mixed reviews. Some people are still unhappy, but overall, I think a decent amount of people thought that the changes were good. The numbers, while maybe not generous, were not nearly as. Uh, uh, ungenerous as some people expected so Richard uh, what do you think of the arena economy and where are we at with that alright so the, the summary was for $100 you get 20,000 gems and for 18,000 gems you get what was it 90 packs Nine, yeah. In theory like if you spent those gems all on packs you'd get 100 packs okay so that that was it and then we opened some stuff, and it looks like when you open all these packs, on average, you're going to get somewhere around eight wildcard mythics. Uh, what was the number on rares? Like 20-ish? Yeah, I think, yeah, roughly. 20-ish, and then plus you, you get a whole bunch of stuff that you open incidentally, which may or may not go towards your deck. But the conclusion was, for $100, you can most likely build... Uh, at least one tier one standard deck. You have enough wild cards just straight up that you could build whatever deck you want. And if you got lucky and opened uh, stuff that was needed for your deck, I know we both did it and we just opened like eight off color mythics and yeah. had to rely on our wild cards to get anywhere. But just the wild cards alone should get you at least a deck putting your first deck on Magic Arena to be around $100. And I thought... That's very good. Uh, I know I, when I looked at your Wrath Flash deck, paper price $300, uh, online price, Magic Online price $300, so Magic Arena price $100 uh, is pretty good. Even though you know the, the decks are not exactly the same because we don't have the exact same card pool, $100 is really cheap to get started. The problem still remains that it's hard to switch decks. Uh, you know, If you wanted to play Wrath Flash this week and then mono red aggro the next week it's kind of tough but i thought the price of packs was actually quite reasonable and a lot cheaper than i thought what wizards would charge yeah i think the price of packs i think if you buy them in small amounts it's like a dollar 34 and then if you buy the biggest amount of gems it goes all the way down to a dollar and we were predicting more like two dollars maybe going down towards a dollar fifty or something as you want more so i think the pack price came in lower than i thought it would there's been generally good response i think to the fact that you can earn cards and gold and stuff from being able to play some like league type events it's still a little weird because it's best of one and it's not fully developed like paper magic yet but there's still ways you can earn more cards and more gold so i think overall the response was pretty good i feel like as far as prices I feel like it's definitely better for new players who, when they see $300 or $500 to buy a deck in paper on Magic Online, paying $100 is a pretty good deal. On the other hand, 
I think if you're someone who's maybe a spike and trying to switch and play a lot of decks, for those type of players, if you have a $500 investment in paper or in Magic Online, your money probably goes farther there because you can easily trade and switch decks, which you can't really do. I feel like I built the Raph Flash deck, which I really like, and it took, it's a mythic heavy deck, it's a rare heavy deck, and I, I want my deck to be complete, so I got everything I did, it cost me all my wild cards, so I feel like I'd probably have to spend another hundred bucks to get the wild cards to build a second deck unless the deck was related and I was re like another blue white deck where I was using all the rare lands reusing Lyra Dawnbringer and just changing up a little bit so I think that that's where it falls I feel like it's definitely a good option though for players that just don't have five hundred dollars to get started like a hundred dollars to get started is a lot cheaper than uh than getting started any other way of playing magic so overall I think it's pretty good I wish they had uh, there's a couple of little things I don't even know if they're worth complaining about but things with like uh, how you the gems and the gold is weird where they kind of have these two currencies to kind of squeeze every last drop of money out of people because you win gold from events but you can't like combine the gold and gems so if you are just tiny bit of gold short you got to buy more gems to play another event which isn't unique to wizards a lot of these freemium games do that but it's still kind of a little like distasteful i guess it it just seems like obvious and like uh do you really gotta squeeze for every single last drop but overall i feel like it was much more positive than i expected it to be last week when we were making predictions yeah i I flip-flopped back over (laughs) every every week (laughs) is different first i was really hyped about magic arena then i was really disappointed i'm back on the hype i for my hundred dollars, I built three "quote unquote" fully powered decks, it, meaning that I don't have budget substitutes for them. So I have mono red aggro, I have black white vampires, I have black white knights, which I built, and then I have a bunch of decks that have some budget substitutes, like uh, mono green stompy, uh, an actual cool deck, mono blue flyers, which is weird. And uh, so those decks, I have a bunch of substitutes, but I have a, a couple more wild cards. The problem with wild cards is I just don't want to spend them. Like, I, you want to try a deck, but then it's like all in, right? Like, do you want to use your two mythic wild cards to uh, get these cards uh, that are specific to one deck? You know, if it's like a Karn or it's a Fairy or something, you're like, okay, I can use that in multiple decks. But if it's like some weird jank thing like Combat Celebrant, like, there's only one deck it goes in. And if you don't like that deck or that deck sucks, uh, you're going to waste those wild cards. So I have kind of that issue with wild cards but in general i've been grinding the the leagues the leagues are like the uh, i guess the arena matches in hearthstone where uh you play up to seven wins or up to three losses and you get a bunch of rewards uh at maximum uh you earn 500 gold and three at least rares if you win out it costs you 500 to enter but you make back a thousand if you win out so it's actually quite feasible just to grind away matches and a league is very quick each each game takes like five minutes or something so maybe if we play enough by the next set in dominaria block you don't actually need to buy uh any new packs maybe you have enough wild cards and just random gold saved up that you can just buy packs and not have to spend real money so that'll be interesting as we have more time like what is it feasible to grind can you go infinite without actually, you know, forking over a hundred or two hundred dollars every time a new expansion comes out? Uh, it's worth pointing out, as far as the constructed leagues, I think the the break even point is six wins. Like, so if you, mm, so it's you way have lower to, than that. It's it's four, right? Uh, okay, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I was thinking of. Uh, Maybe I was thinking of the limited events. You have to get six wins. That uh, that sounds. Right. I, I so, believe the break regard- even is. I think four. But you you theoretically break even sooner because uh, so you get three cards and they basically start as three at least uncommons and as you win more the floor gets guaranteed all the way up to uh, at seven wins it's three rares so if you imagine that rare as a pack because basically when you open a pack it's a rare right uh, you actually like even if you go like one. 1-3 or something, like, you, it's almost the same as if you opened a pack. The only difference is, I think you can't get wild cards at this point. Which are kind of the, 
I mean, by far the most valuable right. things you so, can get. So it's right? not exactly like a rare is a pack because you can't get a wild card. But, you know, if you open three rares uh, as your individual card rewards, that's almost the same as opening three packs. Because I know I've actually had a league where I won a thousand gold uh, and two mythics, one rare. So my question is, do you... They're obviously good if you're pretty good at magic, but how legitimate of a grind is it if you're if you're okay or maybe bad or new at magic? Like, is that still a way that's feasible for you to like grind out a collection, or is that a way if you're uh, an experienced, pretty strong magic player and you can consistently hit a lot of wins? It's great for yeah. you, but kind of sucks for the new players. I, I don't. You probably won't. I mean, obviously, the better you are and the faster you play, the the more gold per minute you would gain. But my guess is when we actually sit down and do the math, that playing leagues is better than cracking packs or something. Like going... Even if you're not... Yeah, if you're not very good and you go like... If you go, I think, like two, three, you lose like 100 gold or something, but you get like one rare and two uncommons, right? And 100 gold is like a tenth of a pack, right? So like instead of spending money on packs i think it's worth it to kind of do leagues and quote-unquote scrub out possibly right the thing that throws a wrench into this is you know what is the percentage of upgrade from going from uncommon to rare and then uh what do you lose up by not getting wild cards so yeah that makes sense. so that that's the thing and it's also interesting the individual reward cards come from every set as well so you don't just keep getting dominaria cards even though your dominaria collection is full Oh, that's that's worth noting. So it's also worth mentioning that it feels like part of what Wizards did with this update was try to shift play to some extent from playing just the regular ranked matches to these tournament events, quick constructed or whatever it is, because they took away the, you get a card from just winning games mm. when you play random games. So they kind of took those away and put those cards, those individual reward cards for only the tournaments. So this is like, I think it's kind of a, a good news, bad news situation. I think that helps alleviate the concern that some people had where it was like, after I get my four wins, there's not really a good motivation for me to keep playing in the same day. So having the quick constructed leagues gives you something you can grind endlessly and keep getting rewards, keep getting gold. On the other hand, it does take away from the very free free to play the lowest percentage of players who like don't want to pay anything towards it because you actually have to spend your gold to get into these tournaments and they're not getting the free cards whenever they just play a random ranked match yeah it, it, this could be the case where because i come in with a tier one hazard deck right because i play magic it's very simple for me to always play quick constructed i think it's called the leagues because uh, I'm basically making gold every time I play. I'm making cards. Whereas if you have a weaker deck, uh, you're, you're just starting magic, you're playing maybe a deck without mythics and stuff. Maybe leagues are too hard. Uh, cause I don't even know how the matchmaking works because I, I play a league and I get matched all over the place. Uh, you know, if I'm in gold, sometimes I play someone in bronze. Sometimes I play someone in silver. Sometimes I play, you know, when I was in silver, I was playing against gold people. So I, don't really know how the matchmaking works if it's like moto where kind of all the six o's match up against each other or if it's actually based on your mmr because it seems all over the place yeah it's uh it's based on record primarily they said so the number one like matchmaking when you're playing a quick constructed league is to play someone with the same record and then if there's multiple people at the same time that have the same record then the secondary characteristic or whatever is what your actual rating is or rank is but number one you get paired with someone with the same record regardless of rating. yeah that so then that greatly favors the higher ranking players because at 1-0, if I'm a Masters tier player and you're a Bronze player, uh, we're equivalent because we're both 1-0, but chances are my deck is a lot better because I'm in Masters, unless I'm, you know, quote-unquote off deck and playing something else, right? So one last question before we uh, we move quickly to a couple other topics. Uh, playing these Quick Constructed, I haven't really done the Quick Constructed. I've just played the rank matches. What is the general power level? Like, are you seeing primarily mostly complete tier decks are you seeing people with like the starter decks that you get playing the quick constructed like how is that they're all 
my when I look at the decks, they're all fully powered decks. The question is, are you meta or are you not? So the meta game is basically blue black control and mono red, and I think mono red's actually the strongest deck and the best deck because you can play more matches and get more gold. But there are people that are playing, say, mono green stompy, black white knights, uh, stuff like that. But their deck looks complete, and they're choosing to play this deck because they're testing it or they want to have fun or whatever, and not because. You know they're they're missing all their mythics or anything. So so you're not seeing like the the three one mythic three rare intro deck cats or whatever too much in the constructed right. Universe. And and if you do, they'll be round one. But by, by the time you get into like you know three o four o or whatever, like you're pretty much in tier territory. So when I'm playing leagues, it feels like I'm playing like a an actual league in Moto as opposed to, say, a casual, friendly tournament practice game where you go in and decks are all over the place. When you're playing Constructed in Arena, it feels like everyone has put their deck together and they are trying their best to win, and they're they're trying to have a legitimate deck and, and they're trying to do something. So, last, last, last Arena question. Uh, you just got into the beta today. You got the opening card pool. You don't have money to buy cards. What's your recommendation, Richard? Do you play Quick Constructed and spend your whatever gold you can grind from that? Or should you probably, if you're playing like the starter deck, should you be playing the ranked cues and trying to build up a better deck before you spend your gold on Quick Constructed? Mm, I, I think you should build a mono red deck we have an article on getting started on magic arena with mono red and i think depending on your skill if you are a let's say a regular gp player or you know you're kind of a spiky player i think you would just go into straight quick constructed you'll probably open one or two mythic wild cards get some hazards in your deck and you're good to go you can at least four three these events and you'll be earning cards and the most important thing to be doing is your daily quests which give a ton of gold and uh, earning your fifteen, uh, your your three packs with fifteen wins each week, and then uh, you can do that while in the leagues. But if you're not so confident in your gameplay, you can do it in the normal quick matches. But I, I think you can pretty much just get into the leagues quite quickly if you know what you're doing. If you're good at magic, asterisk. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's move on from arena. Um. So uh, we wanted to briefly mention there's kind of been some conversations going on in the community lately as far as streaming. So it's basically focused on two things. First off, the ethics of ghosting, which if you're not familiar with the streaming world, that's when you tune into the stream of the person you're playing against in a tournament to try to see their hand and gain an advantage. Also, the other side of the coin is the ethics of streaming opponents and their usernames without them actually consenting to be on your stream or your video. So what are your thoughts on this great streaming debate that's been going on, Richard? Alright, I think ghosting is fine. I mean, it's like not fine. Like, let's say if I'm playing Seth and I know he's streaming, I'm not going to go tune in to look at his hand. I don't I don't think that's good or like, why am I doing this? You know what I mean? Like, why would you, you know, let's say you're playing FNM and your opponent goes to the bathroom and says, hold on, and puts their, car, your, their hand down. Are you really going to take their hand and take a look at it? Like, is that what you would actually do? I wouldn't. So I wouldn't ghost. But as a streamer, you should be aware that people will ghost you and you have to deal with it, right? Like the whole point of streaming is saying, hey world, look at what I'm doing. I'm playing. Come watch me. And then you can't be like, hey, why are you watching me? Go away, <laughs> right? Like you're just going to get ghosted and you need to have the attitude that, yeah, sometimes you get ghosted and you'll get wrecked. Or, you know, you just gotta be the better player and play around the ghost. I know a lot of popular streamers use that to their advantage. They'll like bait people with stuff. It's, it's harder in magic because you can't really do stuff like that, but they know that, oh, you know, you know, I'm here on the map. I know you're coming for me. I'll just outplay you because I know that you know, you know, that, you know, you know where I am and I know that. So I'll play accordingly. So next level them. But I think as a streamer, you really, can't do anything and if you don't want to get ghosted don't stream like that's it's a very easy thing to do right a lot of pros don't stream their ptqs or high level events but they'll stream their normal leagues because those are low stakes matches uh i disagree i mean what? Yeah, <laughs> are I, you turning I, off I the stream set <laughs> i agree in the sense that um if you're a streamer you can't do anything about ghosting like i definitely agree with that i disagree with that it's just okay and acceptable because i think 
it works for you if like i wouldn't go someone you wouldn't go someone but the other side of that argument is uh i'm a spike my goal is to win and whatever gives me the greatest chance of winning i'm gonna do so that's why you have people that do go so i think that we should have uh, strong communal norms against ghosting because to me it feels like cheating and maybe that's just coming from someone who streams but personally it doesn't bother me on my stream i'm playing leagues i'm doing it to have fun but if i was playing uh, a more high stakes match then i could see where it would be pretty obnoxious and i think the reason this came up was one of the challenges that they do on the weekend which are kind of like medium stakes or higher stakes than playing leagues but they're not quite to the level of a ptq or something where someone won by ghosting their opponent so i would like wizard to, even if it's not really enforceable, put something in the terms of service saying that that's not acceptable because I think you want the pros streaming. Like, the greater good for the game is when someone's playing a pre-TQ, when LSV is playing a PTQ, or Finkel's playing some big tournament, that those people feel like they can put it on stream because I think that that helps grow the game more than having these people feel like, oh, I have to do it on a 30-minute delay because someone's going to ghost me, or I'm not going to stream it all together. So I think the greater good is encouraging people not to ghost because I think you want to incentivize as many people as possible to be streaming the highest EV matches But what's the point if you can't enforce it? <sighs> Just to set the, the record straight that it's But I'm almost positive behavior. anyone that thinks about it for two seconds will realize how much of an unfair advantage and quote-unquote cheating it is <laughs> you know that they're doing this, right? It's just a they're valuing their EV or whatever on top of that, right? Or they know they can't be caught. And that's why it's, you know, people who want to steal or do bad things or commit crimes, they're going to do it anyway, right? So it's, it's kind of hard to... But we still have laws against those things. It's not like, oh, people are going to steal anyway, so yeah, but, uh, we don't but, have a law that says it's illegal. Well, let's, let's talk about, <laughs> say, copyright infringement that's hard to enforce, right? Like, <laughs> people just do it anyway. Like, you, as a media company or something, you got to deal with it, right? You can't, you can't assume your movie's not going to be bootlegged and thrown on the internet. It will be. So you got to be prepared for it. That's what I think streamers got to do. Like, you, there's no way this can be enforced. So... You need to be prepared for it, or you need to know that, hey, if I'm playing this winning in for top eight or whatever, I should turn off my stream because I care about the results. I don't know. I think it just goes with the job. It's like, if you're a comedian, you'll get heckled. Should you be heckling comedians? <laughs> Probably not, right? But as a comedian, you just got to deal with it, right? Like, I don't know how you would stop this. Yeah, I mean, I do agree with that. I do expect that some people will ghost, and I don't especially care if people ghost my stream. Like, I guess I would prefer if they didn't, if someone Wait, asked that's me. that's like, ad revenue, Seth. You? Please, everyone ghost the stream, though. <laughs> what do you think about the argument that it's offset by the fact that they have a stream helping them? That they're, they that streamers themselves are, in fact, cheating because it's not them playing, it's a collective group of people playing giving them the advantage that offsets the disadvantage of being ghosted i i think that is an argument that only comes from people who have never streamed before <laughs> because uh, i think if you asked any streamer you don't stream because you want the chat to improve your chances of winning when you go to stream you know that you're going to win less often than if you were focused only on playing magic not focused on entertaining not focused on looking at necklace or answering questions in the chat that's not why you stream you stream to entertain and to interact and like that's the reason you do it so maybe there's like one percent of the time where the chat actually helps you but that's outweighed by the fact that you're playing 10 percent worse all the time because your attention is split to trying to entertain and you're not focused on just trying to win a game of magic yeah it's just imagine trying to play a game of magic with like you know just say even only 20 people screaming in your ear but you can't just ignore them you gotta actually talk back to them and that's streaming and i, I can see how this works if you're a small streamer and you have like one person in chat and they're lsv and they're they're feeding you answers and okay that's probably advantageous but if you have any size audience and you're interactive in any way uh it's way way worse and it's pretty much the same across all games. Everyone plays better off stream than they do on stream because they're multitasking and doing like a billion things as they're streaming. So they can't play, uh, you know, as best as they actually could. 
Yeah, I'm sure there's situations where it could be an advantage. Like, if you have a pro tour team that's together for testing, and (laughs) and one person's playing Magic Online, and everyone in the room is around them trying to come up with the best line. Like, I'm sure there's times when that can happen, but I think, in general, most streams, it's definitely a net negative as far as your win percentage. So chat lethal, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, there's even a a term for it. (laughs) Uh, All right. We have gotten to the fish mail section of our podcast. So, Richard, take it away. What do we got for fish mail this All right. week? If you have any questions, send them to at MTG Goldfish with the hashtag MTG Fish Mail, and we'll get to your questions on air. If you could have one normal character become a planeswalker, who would it be? Um. Hmm. <laughs> do you know any characters? I forgot. <laughs> no, I'm trying to look up. Uh, Trying to look up characters. Mishra. Oh, Mishra would be a cool Forget planeswalker. Forget Mishra. I want a real Urza planeswalker. You know he is a planeswalker. Ooh. Like, give me a real card. But Mishra would be a cool planeswalker. Or Yagmoth. People are apparently hyped for Yagmoth, like an evil Balesi Yagmoth. That oh, would be if cool. They, may, they should just make Yagmoth come back and give him ridiculous abilities and make him cost 20. <laughs> and then, <laughs> like, have some claws that you can't cheat them into play. You know how they have all those clauses to keep stuff from coming, like, reanimated and not played from hand and stuff like that? Just give them one of those clauses. Make them be, like, Emrakul price, but, like, lots of black mana or something, so you can't tron them out. And then just have them do crazy stuff, like, target player dies. <laughs> target player loses the game. <laughs> that would be cool. I would be down that with that. That would be sweet. Uh, Dementor92. Would you guys ever consider playing Commander Deck built around a vertical? Bloodfire Dwarf, Bloodfire Kavu, Bloodfire Colossus. Or Horizontal Cycles. Wait, what's a vertical? Is it the Bloodfire prefix? No, I think it's like ones like less mana and smaller, but they have similar abilities. Like they all sack to deal a certain amount of damage oh. to each thing. One's like four mana, six mana, one mana, four mana, six mana, something like that. Yeah. So cycles we always play. Verticals seems like if you I have a deck with, with that theme, you would put them all in, right? So it seems like that should be viable. Yeah, I think it would be hard to do like, oh, everyone pick one of the blood fires and build a deck around it because I don't even think we have legendary cycles like that. But I could see building like a blood fire theme deck or a damage to everything theme deck and having all of them in it. All right, from Streakus, history of Benalia being mythic while Fall of Thran is rare is why I'm not happy with standard. I'm tired of pricey four of staples at mythic. Grim Flayers, Soulfire Grandmasters. Can we stop Watsy from these money grabs? I feel like Wizards has done slightly better recently. I know I in the past I had written some articles about mythic, making mythics feel mythic and how they gotten away from their original intent and design. And I feel like the more recent sets have actually done a pretty good job of having the staples at rare. I think the one you just mentioned, History of Benalia, is an exception. And I know I was surprised just mostly because mass land destruction is typically mythic these days, even in like master sets, Armageddon's a mythic. So that was a little bit surprising to me. But I feel like overall they've done a pretty good job keeping the mythics mythic and not standard staples and making the rares where the standard staples are. Mm-hmm. And plus, they, they've done good stuff. Like, we have the legendary uncommons for uh, budget-conscious commander players. You know, some of our staples are uncommons, like uh, Fatal Push. So it's not it's not all bad. But yeah, I mean, magic is expensive, and we continually have the Mythic Planeswalkers, which I doubt they're going to change anytime soon, propping up the prices of formats. Uh, Sebastian Tans... Do you guys think Wizards will experiment more with pay life to draw card effects similar to Necro and Gristlebrand? Haha. Uh, <laughs> I think it's it's been a thing for a long time in Magic. Uh, maybe back to the very beginning with like greed and stuff. So I feel like we will keep seeing those effects, but I think Wizards knows that Gristlebrands and Necromancers and things or ne- ne- Necropotence. How did Jazz use <laughs> to say it? <laughs> is uh is a little bit too powerful. So I think we'll see the effects, but they'll probably be watered down and not pushed as much as Grizzlebrand or Yeah, we we always have pay life to draw cards. What you're asking for is insanely broken pay life to draw cards. And wizards <laughs> and players know now that your life total is a resource. But we do have 
uh, Scumble the Temptation, whatever the new one is. There's a new one. I mean, we, we have even Argyle's like, Bloodfast. Blood yeah, it's just they're quote unquote balanced and not insanely broken like Necro. Uh, Gristlebrand was a surprise. I'm surprised they made Gristlebrand. They 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 knew how big and bad he was, but they made him anyway. So maybe maybe we'll get another Gristle Gristlebrand sometime soon. Uh, SL Kirstens, as someone who plays Amonkhet, the concept of a core set is new to me. The next set is a core set, right? What is different? How is it different? Can we draft or play sealed with it? Are all cards standard legal? What What is a core set, Seth? Alright, so core set's pretty simple. Uh, everything that is true about a normal set is true about a core set as well. So everything standard legal, you draft it, you play sealed, there's a pre-release, all that stuff is the same. The big difference with core sets are they're often more new player focused, which might mean less complex mechanics in the set. I don't even know if you'll feel a difference too much if you're, especially if you only start playing an Amoncat. But if you've been playing for a long time, they probably feel slightly less complicated a lot of times than an expert level expansion or normal standard set. The other big difference is reprints. Like, a normal standard set has very few reprints, usually a lower rarity. Core sets are actually 50%, they're saying, uh, roughly reprints from old cards, which they'll all be legal and standard, but you'll see a lot of cards that were from 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 20 years ago, that'll be making a reappearance and being standard legal for the first time in a long time. Yeah. Uh, Steve Monty 215 what price would you set for an arena subscription service that grants you every standard legal card as long as you are subscribed? Uh, what? Well, I mean, as a player, like ten dollars <laughs> a month would be great, but I think a realistic price might be. I'm going to say $50 a month. I think right now, I think to really play standard fully, I'm expecting you got to spend about $200 per set release, which would be every like three to four months, you'd have to pay $200. Uh, I, maybe I'm wrong there, but that's my, my thinking at the moment. So that would be maybe 50-ish bucks yeah, a month. I think 50 bucks is about right. Uh, they'll never do it, by the way. <laughs> they, they want you to open packs and they want you to spend a lot of money, and they want you to not calculate probabilities correctly. Like, the, this is part of the I, plan. Yeah. Because, I mean, what they, they want the people that spend $500 a set to be able to do that, and those are the people that would pay a subscription. Like, all the free-to-play players, they're not going to spend 50 bucks a month anyway, but they want the whales to spend even more than that $200 a set yeah. release, and that would make that not happen. All right, the Fallen 3274 played three brawl matches in my league. All three opponents were brawl. <laughs> Going to not play if it's mono blue every match. Yeah, I think that competitive brawl is uh, close to unplayable at the moment. It is literally all blue and all primarily all brawl it's decks. It's basically so... tiny leaders. <laughs> this is what happens when yeah. you force Commander onto a small card pool and make it 1v1. Brawl should have been marketed as multiplayer, and they never should have just... They never should have made 1v1 Brawl. Yeah. And I think there's a risk that it kills the format, period, because of exactly, like, this fishmail question. Yep. Like, people play a league, they find out it's horrible, miserable, all Brawl, counter every spell you do, and then instead of being like, oh, maybe I'll try multiplayer, they're just like, alright, well, <laughs> I'm done with this format, I'm never playing it again. Yeah. Uh, Vraymant MX, is Dominaria going to be the Kaladesh block of 2019? Will it bend the format and cause prices to skyrocket due to focus on Legends? Uh, I don't think so. I think it's a very strong set, and I think after rotation, it will probably be the strongest set in Standard, but there's no one, like, linear mechanic that you have to play these 10 cards, like we saw with Energy or with Vehicles. It's kind of like the power is spread out all over all different things, so I think we'll have Chase cards, a very powerful set, but I don't think it'll have that dominant mechanic or theme like we saw with Kaladesh. All right, eleven vicious. Have you guys seen the Aerio Ethos One Candice Mox Opal Mox Amber combo? Supposedly, you can cast both creatures and flip Aerial on turn one. What what is this combo? Uh, mm, I have not seen this. What were the cards again? Aerio Aerio. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know how to say Ari it. Is is that the is that the Kamigawa upside down thing? Yeah, so it flips around to... So it's a 2-mana 1-1 one, one flying. Whenever you cast a 4-spell for the turd, it flips into an enchantment that makes it so you counter the first spell played by each opponent each turn. Oh, I see. So you play all this stuff and then throw down a cannonist and then it's game over for your opponents. Yeah, I mean, I guess in... 
I guess there might be a way of doing it on turn one. I mean, that's four cards. How against the odds is it to have this exact four card combination plus lands and whatever? Probably very against the odds. <laughs> yeah, I think like turn two, turn three, like you can probably make it fairly consistent maybe, but I think turn one is going to be a long shot. <laughs> All right, next question. Lord McDonald's. It's seven seal, but instead of chess, you're playing a game of EDH against death. What deck do you play to prolong your existence? Oh, uh, Panharmonica. Wait, what's seven seal? <laughs> Something with Panharmonica. Can you win against death, or are you just trying to play the longest game possible, and he'll and he'll always win? How does this work? <laughs> yeah, I, do, I don't know. I've never. I don't know what seven seal is actually. Hmm, if I'm trying to beat death <laughs> in EDH, I don't know about this. I mean, they probably did this a lot, and they're probably very experienced. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not going to play Janky Tribal. How about that? If my life is on the line, I might have to forsake Janky Tribal. <laughs> No skeletons. Skelet- Richard, pick Wait, skeletons. Wait, maybe I pick yes. skeletons and get on Death's good side. Yeah, there <laughs> There you go. He'll appreciate the deck choice. Maybe that's it. the secret. You can't win with, you know, actual winning the game. You got to get a flavor win against Death. Maybe I just <laughs> outsmarted the game. <laughs> Tidal Wave 87. I've never had a computer that can run Moto. And my laptop is barely running Arena. It finally has gotten to the point of upgrading to a new computer. Do you guys have any suggestions on what I can look for so that I can play online? I will say that I found that Arena actually kills my computers way more than Magic Online does at this point. Yeah. Uh, as far as, like, draining the resources. So, um, I, you might know this better than I do, Richard, as far as actually buying computers. I think just get anything. Mo- Modo should run on basically anything. So any modern-ish computer, like even a mid-range or budget computer should run it. Arena taxes everything like even if you have a top of the end macbook pro it's going on full 100 percent usage that's an arena problem so i think just any reasonable you know new computer should run these programs no problem it's not like an actual game where you need like a graphics card and you know something crazy to run it's it should run on anything i mean arena is supposedly playable on tablets and phones eventually so the requirements are not that high uh, Skylar H. Spike with Mox Diamond. I'm reminded of how I traded one for one for two copies of Show and Tell a few years ago. Have you ever done a trade that you regretted after the fact? Uh, yes. Well, actually, it was more like buy listing, but I, uh, <laughs> I bought a collection a few years ago. And kind of the the key card, or one of them, it had a bunch of alpha and original stuff, uh, but the best card in the collection was an alpha force field that was actually graded like a 9 or a 9.5, so it was mint, and I ended up buy listing it for like, I don't know, 400 bucks or something, and it's like 4,000 something now, so that was brutal. That's bad. <laughs> my, my worst was <laughs> I opened a foil lily out of the veil, and I traded it in for a playset of Wastelands, which I don't regret. Like, if you look after the fact, it's, like, kind of bad now, but it got me into Legacy, and I played a ton of Legacy during that time, and I never would have used Foil Lily on the Veil for anything useful, so it was worth it, but if you look back, you're like, uh, that's, that doesn't look too good now. Mike R. Wolf. My son and I would love it if there was a set based on the Marvel Universe. He came up with the first card, Infinity Gauntlet, Legendary Artifact Equipment, 15 mana cost, 10 to equip. When equipped creature attacks, you win the game. Is this possible? Seth, I'm going to ask a question to which I know the answer already. Did you watch (laughs) Avengers Infinity War? (laughs) The greatest movie of all time. (laughs) I I don't really like superhero movies. Why? (laughs) So, so no. I feel like Infinity Gauntlet, what's that? (laughs) Yeah. Is that a gauntlet of might? Is it double your mana? Infinite mana, right? Oh my god, the movie was so good. It was so, so, so good. I don't... Can can we abuse this? A 15 mana artifact with 10 equip costs. So there are cards to cheat artifacts in a play. Are there cards to cheat equip costs? There are, right? Pure Steel. So yeah. this steel actually could be pretty good. <laughs> so I, I don't know. This is a pretty cool card. And on if you look at the magic subreddit right now uh you can show your son there's a whole bunch of altars uh involving uh infinity wars right now uh people have the gauntlet with thanos and everything people everyone is just 
altering <laughs> Marvel stuff on the cards right now. So that is actually pretty cool. So you can show that to your son. But I think this, I think this is a pretty cool card. I would run an EDH. Uh, next question. JReds17. How does Dusting in Arena handle Rat Colony? Do you get extra copies? <laughs> Even though you want more than four. Uh, so they just made it so if you get four copies, you can add infinite number of copies to your deck for Rat Wouldn't Colony. Wouldn't it be hilarious if you had to collect 98 copies or whatever for your EDH deck? <laughs> <laughs> you, you would have to, yeah, you would have to buy like a thousand packs to get enough wild cards to build Rat Colony against uh, the odds. Now they implemented my suggestion <laughs> that if you get one of a card, you can then add infinite. Oh, the economy would be that w- so that good. That would be sweet. Uh, Darkness Zora, I have a playset of Panoramonicon and Paper begging to be played in Standard. What would be the best deck to play with them? What is the best Panoramonicon oh, Standard deck, Seth? Uh, probably the one I would play would be just like a four-color, all the enter-the-battlefield-triggers abilities, but Mono Black is also a good one, and probably more budget-friendly, if that's a concern. So either go all the way to four or five colors and just play every cool thing, or go Mono Black for budget. All right, Chaos Engineer 1, I swear I did not plant this, Seth, but <laughs> with Leagues in Arena now, can y'all start including them during the stream? It would be fun to watch Raph Flash in Arena. I think more arena stuff is going to be coming. We're we're in the progress of figuring out how to do some arena content. Little nervous about there not being any real format at this point or best of three matches, but don't worry, there will be arena stuff coming. The format is magic as Richard Garfield intended, Seth. <laughs> All mono red. <laughs> you got to build decks with what you have, and you. I, I, arena is the perfect place for people that hate net deckers because there's no net decking currently you gotta just build what you have and kind of do that so it's it's actually a weird mini game in itself and it's not quite the same as say watching the scg standard classic or the pro tour speaking of which what is the pro tour seth when are we getting real standard solidified with a metagame dictated by the pros this is uh, one of the weird late ones. It's not until the first weekend of June, so we have roughly a full month until the Pro Tour. Oh, I'm so not excited for Standard now. I'm, I'm, I was I, waiting I, for new decks. <laughs> I will say it's a little weird that even with the Pro Tour being a month away, they didn't have any Standard events for release weekend. STG had a team event. Wizards did a limited GP so it felt kind of anticlimactic with how hyped people were for Dominaria. Like, usually I'm like, okay, they can't do a constructed GP because there's a Pro Tour the next week. But I think Wizards should look at that. Like, if there's if the Pro Tour is six weeks away, there needs to be a big standard tournament on release weekend to get people hyped and keep people hyped for the new set. Uh, all right, I think that wraps up our fishmail. Thank you, everyone, for sending them in. You can send them to the hashtag MDGFishmail, and we'll get to your questions on air. Uh, and I think that brings us to the end of episode 170 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. So thanks everyone for listening. We will be back next week to talk more magic. So until then, this is the MTG Goldfish podcast group signing out.